Amen. Week two, unordinary. You are called to be unordinary. Some of you are like, yeah, he's got that down. He's unordinary. He's got that. You know, I keep hearing from people all the time, like, oh, man, pastor, you know, this last year and a half, these last couple years, I feel like I'm going crazy. I feel like I'm the only one who still believes this. You know, as times are changing and things are getting crazy and, you know, the pace is picking up on all these other things, you feel like, man, I'm the only one. I feel like I'm just unordinary. I'm sticking out. I'm standing out because I still believe that, that God says this and I'm to believe it. Amen. Or God says, this is how I should date and this is how I should honor women and this is how I, and, and I feel crazy for believing God's principles. And I want to kind of just ease you a little bit here in this idea that it's okay that you feel unordinary because the scripture actually says you're going to feel that way. Can I get an Amen. We're called to stand out and be different. It's, your life is called to look different if you're a Christ follower. We actually opened up this series last week with uh, the scripture giving us this encouragement. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. It says, don't copy the behavior, meaning don't be ordinary. Don't be like everybody else. Don't just copy the way everybody else is, but instead be different, be unordinary. And it says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. It's perfect when you line up with the word and with the ways of God. And when you're unordinary for God, that's the way God designed you to live as a Christ follower. Can I get an amen today? I'll be honest with you. First service was a little fuddy-duddy. They were a little annoying. They weren't with me. So I need a little help. Will you guys make up for them today? And so Peter also gives us this instruction. He's, he's saying, uh, and, and Peter, we're going to read it in just a minute, but he's addressing persecuted Christians, people that feel the pressure of culture, people that feel, uh, you know, the government was even kind of putting some pressure on them as religious organization, as Christ followers. They're, the, socially, they're feeling pressure. And we all feel that pressure. You know, we're, we're called to be different and to stand up and stand on what we believe. And, uh, and if I can be honest, Pastor Lee Cummings has this statement that he gave a couple weeks ago at a conference. He says, you know, we all walk around saying, well, Christians, you know, well, love, love, love. We got to love, 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 love. And, and God tells us to love. And that's true. God is love. And love is everything. And they're going to know us by our love. But do you know that only a few times Jesus mentions love? It's a handful of times that he mentions love as this thing that we ought to kind of guard and lead ourselves with. But hundreds of times he calls us to righteousness and holiness. So we say, oh, well, no, all we got to do is love, love, just accept everything, love, love, love. You love, you love. Who wants love, love? Christian hippies, and I like hippies, by the way. I'm going to hang out with a whole bunch of hippies this summer. I'm looking forward to it. What are you talking about? It's none of your business, okay? It's none of your business. And, And you say, love, 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 love. And then we just throw out, yeah, but there is such a thing as righteousness, and godliness, and holiness, and standards that God's called us to. And it makes us unordinary. So Peter's talking about this pressure that everybody's feeling. First Peter 2, 1 in the Passion Translation. He says, my divinely loved friends, since you are resident aliens and foreigners in this world, I appeal to you to divorce yourselves from the evil desires that wage war within you. The ways of this world, the ways of our flesh. He's saying, you got to divorce yourself from those. You can't let those be your way. You need to be unordinary. Unordinary to the way that you feel. And everybody around this world is, no, do what feels good. Do what feels right. Do you, you do you, right? Nobody in here ever been heard that? You do you. You do whatever you want. And they're saying, no, no, you got to divorce that. This world, this way of this world, this isn't your home. You have to live on ordinary. There's a different way for you to live. It matters that we carry ourselves in a different way than the world. We see in Mark chapter 6 where this gets messed up. We see where somebody 
these group of people, I'm going to read it in a minute, they have this, this idea of what they feel like should be normal. They have this mindset of what they feel like is the way things should go, and it costs them greatly. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, it's a story of his life. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. This is Jesus speaking in his hometown among people he knows. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Then they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? And they took offense, or one translation or one meaning means they were frustrated at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. They wanted him to be ordinary, not unordinary. They want him to be average in, in everything that they knew. And then they said this in his hometown. He said he could not do any miracles except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. What had happened here is because they grew up around Jesus, familiarity had set in. They just got used to this guy. They didn't see him for what he really was. They didn't understand him for how special he really was because they just got used to him. I mean, you know, it's a temptation of us as Christ followers. Remember when you first got saved, you're just so in love with God. You're just so in love with church. You're so in love with his word. You just are crying through worship every time. Why? Because it's new and it hasn't become familiar and it's so fresh to you. But then you get around it for a little while and you get used to it. And then you let yourself fall in a rut and you let yourself. Why? Because familiarity breeds what? Contempt, they say. It breeds contempt. The longer you're around something, the more you lose the wonder in it. They were around Jesus. They were familiar with him. They started to name, isn't he the carpenter? Isn't he the family of? Isn't this Mary's boy? Isn't this? They begin to describe their familiarity with him. And can I tell you, one of the things that I believe is hindering our walk with God more than anything else is the same thing. It's this familiarity. Well, you know, it's church and it's the word and it's the sermon. No, no, we have got to not lose our wonder. We've got to make sure our relationship with God is always unordinary. Can I get an amen? We got to have an unordinary relationship with God. Uh, they were telling us in our church sort of groups, I'm in all these chats and video things, whatever they call them. You can tell I don't like them. I don't know what they are. <laughs> Webinars, I don't know. And uh, they were kind of giving pastors warnings about not planning too much this year because everybody was going to be trying to play catch up on all of the things that they couldn't do last year. And so statistically, you're actually seeing that there's more concert attendance, there's more sporting events attendance, people are kept, we were in Grand Haven yesterday, the beach is just packed, everybody's making up for last year's, uh, you know, drought of being able to be at the beach and sports and restaurants, all these things. So they're saying, hey, pace yourself because people are going to be playing catch up. Why? Because we were once familiar, we were used to, it was ordinary, all these things that we were able to experience. And then COVID took it away from us. And we go, man, all that stuff was really awesome and really important. There's some wonder, and now I want it back. You understand what I'm talking about? Uh, extreme degrees would be this. If you've ever had something in your life that you love and it works for you, but then you get used to it and you just begin to neglect it. How many know the old saying, you don't know how much you love something until it's gone? Cell phones are one of those for me. Uh, I probably do spend too much time on my phone. But you ever forget your phone at home and you feel like you're incapable of li living? Like you've left it at home and you're driving your car like, do I know how to do this? 
Like, I don't, and you're walking around life like, I don't know if I can function without this phone, but I don't walk around all day thanking God for my phone. It's just because I, it's just because I lost it. I'm, I'm ordinary. I've gotten electricity, you know, when the power goes out, you know, you live all day long. You, you don't think once about electricity, turn on the light switch, it's there. But when the power goes out and you walk into a dark room and you flip it and you're like, oh, it's still off. Ah! You, you had grown familiar with electricity. How many know hot water heater? Any hot water heater fans in here? My wife's like, I'm going to take a shower. Okay. 45 minutes later, like, hey, you almost done? Hold on. I got to get started. And still has all the things to do. Like, what have you been doing in there? She is a stand in the shower person. Nobody tell her about the endless water heater things that are invented. Those are, she said, do those work in our house? Like, no, our house wasn't built at the right time. Can't put the, I would love to get that for you, but sorry, we needed it. So, but if you ever had to take a cold shower or the shower, that water runs out, and all of a sudden you were having a nice shower and then familiarity, you don't know how good it is until it's gone. If you've ever been in another country, you go to another country and someone doesn't speak your language and you're just, well, somebody, does somebody here speak English? Oh my gosh, does somebody here? And then you finally find somebody who does, you're like, oh, this is so, but you don't walk around here all day being so grateful. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm, I'm real old. I'm real old. I'm 38 now. And so I'm having to do old people things. I know. I'm on the downside of that hill. But I'm having to do old people things. Uh, I don't really go to the doctor or anything like that. So I haven't got my eyes checked in forever other than the Secretary of State, which is that a true test? It's not, you know. So, okay, I still get my license, you know. So I go, but I, but I finally go. I go to the eye doctor, and they dilated my eyes. I've never had that happen before. And it was a brilliantly sunny day. And so the lady says to me, like, oh, you know, you're going to go out. and you have sunglasses in the car? Like, yeah, yeah. And it's just, okay, it's going to be a little rough going out to your car. I about had to crawl to the car. <laughs> I could not see anything. Now, I don't walk around giving thanks for my eyesight, but that day, as my eyesight started to come back, our house has like a slider where our kitchen is. And so I get home, and it was dinner time. and no joke, I'm the weird dad sitting at the table with the kid with my sunglasses on in the house. Because like, Dad, you're so weird, what do you do? And then I just lift up the eyes and scared him with my, you know, dilated eyes. To this day, I told my daughter, she's two and a half, Callie, uh, the fun one, you know her, uh, when I came home. Just, I said, Callie, look, daddy got new eyes. And I was like, Whoa. she's like, Whoa. it was the best and inappropriate. But I don't walk around giving thanks for the ability to walk in the parking lot on a sunny day. But when your eyes are all jacked up, you then realize like, oh, I'm just so grateful. And there's this familiarity, this idea of familiarity, the, the definition. So it says familiarity breeds contempt. Contempt means this, the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration or worthless. Now, you would never say that your relationship with God is beneath consideration or worthless. However, we get so familiar with our relationship with God that we actually do start to act in contempt. We start making things of God beneath our consideration. Our prayer life, our church attendance, it's summertime. That's oh, fine if we're once a month, it's summer, etc., so you would never come out and say, hey, we're going to make our relationship with God beneath consideration. But because of the familiarity, it breeds content. And you start to just go, eh, it doesn't matter that much. And we start using that word worthless in our relationship with God. Anybody with me today? Am I telling the truth? You wouldn't intentionally do it, but it starts to happen because familiarity, familiarity. When you get used to seeing something, when you get used to something, you stop seeing that it's special. When you get used to something, 
You stop seeing how special it is. And your marriage is, oh, we're in a rut. We're just in a rut. It's not special like it used to be. It's just because you've gotten used to it. So what does a good counselor tell you? You got to change things up. You got to make things what? Unordinary. They tell you to go plan some dates and go on vacations and take some trips and do some things. What are they trying to get you to do? Do some things that are unordinary. Why? Because familiarity brings content. People, some of you, many of you have a job that you dreamed about, you prayed about, you finally got that job. But because you've been on that job and it's familiar now, it's bred this content of like, uh, I don't know. It's just because you've gotten used to it. We do it to God's word in the beginning. Again, we get saved in God's word. And every time you read it, you go, this is amazing. But because you've gotten familiar with it, so you need to ask God, speak to me in a different way. Can I get an amen? That's why we do dudes and donuts. And that's why we do the women's conference stuff. That's why we do the read through the Bible in a year plan. Why? Because we're trying to make sure things don't get into this rut of religion and in, in being ordinary. Serving in the church, people first get saved, they come to the church. I just want to be a part of what God's doing here, and you serve, and you're a part of it. But then after you do it for a while, you kind of get used to it. And you're serving in kids, and you're doing all these things. And in the beginning, you're like, this is amazing, I get to be a part of it. But then all of a sudden, the enemy just starts to lie to you. Eh, it's not that big of a deal. And then, again, you start to do this. Maybe it's worthless. And I'm trying to tell you, it's okay to be unordinary. Stick with it. Anybody with me today? Joe Leal was here in first service. He's a part of the Love for a Child camp, and uh, they're actually all here. They got another training today, which is just so cool because that's a miracle that we're seeing. The second camp is getting launched, really, in about six weeks, and uh, it's been a part of our legacy offering and the training and your prayers and your sacrifice, and uh, he's a big part of that team, but I've known Joe Leal a really long time. He was in my youth group uh, 20 years ago. I told you I'm old, okay? And so 20 years ago, uh, in 2006, he was the starting center uh, just giving him some love today. He was the center for the Zealand West Ducks when they won the state championship. Uh, he wore the number 55 on his jersey. He was number 55. So if you're ever traveling on the Highway 96 and you get ready to take the exit for Zealand, <clears throat> it's exit number 55 because of him. That's how great he was. That's not true, but I always say that because it sounds awesome. But Joe Leal and I, when I was his youth pastor, we used to play Madden against all these other people. It's a football video game. And so we crushed it at Madden and used to be able to play four player, but two people were on the same team. So it's, of course, just two teams, but four people are playing. And so we would be on the same team. And in this version of Madden, you could do like a quick playbook, they would call it, and it would bring up kind of like your go-to six plays. Well, you can't let the other person in the room, the other team, the other two people, uh, see what those plays were. So when you were up at the line, you could hit some buttons and change and make an audible. Well, we knew what our top six plays were, but we couldn't communicate that to each other because the other person wouldn't hear who was in the room. So they didn't know it, but we came up with hand signals. And so we would like do something like this, and we knew that it meant this. And we had these things. We went undefeated. We crushed them every single time because we had our communication. We were legit. So next time you see Joe Leal, you, you just give him his honor as number 55 and as the greatest Madden teammate to your pastor ever. But I brought all that up to say this. I believe that the devil has a playbook. He's got a top six. And many of us in this room would be like, what would you put in the top six of plays that the enemy plays to try to get you off your destiny and to get you off your purpose? And people would say, oh, I think it's addiction. Oh, I think it's shame. Oh, I think he uses our past. I would say, oh, I think the devil uses familiarity. He just gets you used to going through the same old, same old routines, the same old church, the same old way, singing the same old song. Are you with me today? It's the religiosity that's suffocating the move of God in our world because we want things the same way, because we are uncomfortable with being unordinary for him. Can I get an amen today? 
So I got three points for you, and I won't take very long. But point number one is this. Your walk with God shouldn't be predictable. Your walk with God, your relationship with God should not be predictable. I think it should be faithful, and I think it should be consistent, but it shouldn't be predictable. If you look at all the facets or all the opportunities that God gave us to love him and honor him and follow him, there are always ways that are spirit-led. When you look at worship, worship is a way that we love God and we honor God and we, and we give ourselves to the Lord. But what does he say about worship? Don't just sing the same old songs. He says, worship and offer up to me what? Even a new song. Is anybody in the house today? He's saying, what, what? Make sure you don't get ordinary. Make sure you don't sing the same old things. Why? So even worship up to me with a new song. What does he say about even our resources, our giving, the way that we steward our lives? He says, hey, you need to live your life in a way that you can give unto every good work. What does that mean? Not ordinary. Every time there's opportunity, you're able to say, yes, I'm going to sow into that. And I'm not going to be stuck in this ordinary rut. Oh, I've got my paycheck and I figure out the same thing and I give it. No, live generously and meet the needs in a very unordinary way. Can I get an amen? Prayer. Pray without ceasing. Not, oh, I got that 10 minutes here and the five minutes here and then we pray before dinner. No, no, I want you to pray unordinary. Always praying, always seeking, always then he takes it one step further with our prayer life. He says, not only do I want you to pray with your words and I want you to pray and be specific and, and, and pray for people, uh, intercessory prayer is another way. We're praying on behalf of other people. But then he says, I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit and I'm going to give you a very unordinary prayer language. Yes, I'm talking about speaking in tongues. If I'm going to make you freak out, is he talking about tongues? Are we one of those churches? Yeah. Reach under your seat. There's a snake under there. We're going to pass it in a minute. <laughs> And uh, we're going to just see with those of you that got sin in your life. But how much was God, he's saying, look, I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you this unordinary prayer language that heaven understands, but the enemy doesn't understand. Why? Because he wants us to live this life that's unordinary. So he's empowered us. We see it in prayer. Fellowship, this relationship among one another, it's unordinary. No, I like things to be like this and be like this. No, God's like, no, I need you to involve people in your life. Well, if you involve people in your life, can I just give you a little hint? That's going to involve some drama in your life. And some things are going to be unordinary. What is he saying? He's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Be involved with people. It's unordinary. Serving. Oh, that's very unordinary to be like, hey, because I've been set free, I now want to be a part of your freedom. I'm going to serve. Here I am, Lord. Send me. And because he wants us to live this unordinary life. One of the most just frustrating things is when somebody comes to me and they're new to the church and they come in and say, hey, pastor, I want to talk to you. You know, in my church 50 years ago, I'm like, oh, here we go. There was this committee. I'm like, oh, committee, the worst word, <laughs> the worst word. And I see people just stuck in this rut of the same old, the old way, the old way. I thought about this when we first planted this church. There was kind of two personalities that came at me. I would have a bunch of the local pastors would, would call me up, and they heard that we were planting this church, and we were getting ready to do this. And two personalities came to me. The first pastor group that kind of fell into this category would sit down with me, and they would be like, hey, heard you're planting a church here. We think that's great. And uh, they understood that in our 30-mile radius, there's a half a million people who are either de-churched or unchurched. They have no vital connection to church. So they understood we need more churches. We need more boots on the ground. And so they would come in and say, how can we help you? How can we support you? How can we be a part of what you're doing? And then I had these other group of people that would set up these meetings with me and they would sit down with me and their posture was like, what do you think you're doing? How dare you plant another church here? What, can, what do you think you're going to do? What are you looking to accomplish here? 
because what they didn't like is that their ordinary thing was about to be disrupted. Are you with me? They didn't like that things were about to change and there was going to be something new. And it was, are you with me today? And it's a religious spirit that needs to be crushed because it's suffocating the momentum of what God is doing. Are you with me? Uh, I do this really weird thing with instructions because, you know, men don't read instructions. And so we'll order something and you have to build it and I'll get everything out. And instead of like reading through the instructions, I'll look at the tools and the things that have been provided and the hardware. And I'll think to myself, oh, okay, this is how this is going to go because I know a few things. And so instead of looking at it, I just start to put everything together. Oh, okay, cool. That's what they need me to do. Building, 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 building. And then all of a sudden, like, what? That's weird. Why isn't that working? That should work. And then I go back to thinking, and, and then, and you guys have all said this. Oh, that's what they wanted me to do with that. Shoot. I better go back and redo that. And we do the same because I had predicted, remember, our relationship with God isn't supposed to be predictable. And so we, we have these predictable, we, I just predicted of how I thought it would go based on past experience. And so it, we do the same thing with God. We go, oh, this is how God's going to want me to do it. Surely he's going to want it to be like this. And so you just go ahead out on your own before you've looked at the instructions. And then you get down the road and you go, oh, why isn't this working? Oh, God didn't want me to do it that way. I predicted that on my own by my same old ordinary patterns. Somebody say, that's good, Pastor Josh. No, that's fine. That's fine. You can keep your own ways. I don't care. You can be same old boring, fuddy-duddy. Jesus, who did he pick on the most? And you don't have to answer this. I don't know why pastors do that. It's annoying when I hear it in podcasts too. But Jesus picked on who the most? The religious leaders. He's coming in. He's always picking on the religious leaders. And what is he picking on them about? Their traditions. They wanted everything to stay ordinary. He's like, yo, you love your laws. You love your rules more than you love me. And so he kept picking on it and picking on it. Why? Because he's saying to be a follower of me, you can't be somebody who's so married to the system. You got to be spirit led. And so you got to live this unordinary life of being willing to go when God says go and stop when God says stop. Are you with me today? Number two, Jesus modeled unordinary. And if we're to be Christ-like, we need to walk in the unordinary. Think about the guy's blind, right? Oh, thank God, Jesus is here. I've heard he's doing miracles. Perfect, I'm blind. Jesus, hey, I need my sight. And so certainly Jesus is gonna get out a pamphlet. That would be ordinary. And he's gonna walk me through the five steps about how to recover my sight. That's what he's gonna do. No, actually, he's gonna spit in dirt and make mud and put it in my eye because he's very unordinary. And I'm not saying we walk around, start doing weird things in the name of Jesus like that. But I'm saying if you look at the message of Jesus, he kept proving like there's not a system that we fall in love with. There's a savior that we fall in love with and we follow him. Can I get an amen? Amen. He walked on water. Why would he do that? To be a show off, to be prideful, to be cocky? No, he was showing us that he does the unordinary. When he told the leper, go down to the river and dip, he wasn't supposed to do that. When he healed on the Sabbath, he wasn't supposed to do that. Why? Because he's sending the message of the unordinary. Bring me five loaves and two fish. I'm going to do a miracle here. Why? Because God can move in the unordinary. Point number three, familiarity or wanting everything to be ordinary will cost you the miraculous. Scripture says they couldn't do very many miracles there. I don't know what the needs were. Scripture doesn't say what the needs were, but it says that he couldn't do many miracles. And he was surprised. You could say disappointed, frustrated with their lack of faith. Scripture says amazed. But it cost them because isn't he just the carpenter? Aren't his sisters with us? Isn't that just Mary's boy? 
Because familiarity, familiarity was there, it cost him the miraculous. And I'm telling you in your life, if you're trying to keep things the same way, the same old bubble, the same old thing, it's going to cost you the miraculous and God's power in your life as well. Comfort zones are purpose killers. Jesus says, uh, there was no honor shown to me. Well, what does honor do? Honor is how we place value. I value you, therefore I'm honoring you. There was no value placed on Jesus, therefore there was no miraculous. When you get familiar with things, you stop honoring it. You don't see its value anymore. Uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. I'm not going to get into that debate today of who is, uh, so I'll, I'll say this. You guys always get on me for that because I'm right and you're wrong and you can't handle it, but that's okay. But my top three would be, not in any particular order for sake of drama, uh, my top three would be this, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. Those are the top three. You put them in whatever order you want. But what I would say about Kobe is this. Nobody loved the game more than Kobe. Nobody studied the game more. Nobody had more of a, an understanding. Nobody was more of like the science behind basketball than Kobe. And in one of his documentaries on Showtime, uh, what Kobe did that was unordinary, that nobody had ever done before, uh, is he began to train with other players not on his team. He said, look, I want to get better. I want to improve. I want to go to the next levels. So he began to have training sessions with players that weren't in his circle, not his teammates, not his system, not his culture, not his coaching. He brought in great athletes from other things, and he would practice with them in the offseason. To the nth degree, he began to bring in athletes outside of his sport, and he began to train with them and learn from them and, and grow from them. He was breaking the status of ordinary in the ability to be able to grow. And he made this statement. He said, the more that I can get informed from greatness and from other great things, the more I can get informed, the more it helps me transform into a better player and a better leader and a better athlete. The more I believe we can get informed by God and let the Holy Spirit speak to us and lead us, the more informing we can get, the better we can transform into what God has called us to be. Can I get an amen? But the problem is we're taught in religion, in church, you're taught that you just eventually achieve. Even our terminology sounds like there's some sort of arrival. You have Sunday school, and you go through this class, and you get to this thing. Then you become a member, and then you've, now you're there. But the scripture says you go from faith to faith, glory to glory. We're always learning and growing. Are you with me today? There's this Chinese proverb and of course, it's not the Bible, but I think it's really good. It says this, he who asks a question is a fool for five minutes. He who does not ask a question remains a fool forever. You take the time to ask God and seek somebody and take a step out of the ordinary and you grow. When you feel like you've achieved and you've got it all figured out and you know how it's all supposed to work, you remain a fool forever. Nobody here would decide, oh, I want to really limit my life and limit myself. No, we have to constantly be growing and achieving and walking with God. Can I get an amen? I'll close with this. There's this guy, David. You guys all know David, uh, King David. Uh, such a great leader, such a great man of God. And the scripture says this, that God says about David, that guy's got a heart after mine. That guy is my guy, if you could say. Like if heaven looked down and of all the people in the Bible, God is like, yeah, David, that's my dude. Which is crazy because a lot of controversy in his life, a lot of scandal, lots of mess up, big sin, but big accomplishments. So you're starting to figure out like, well, what is it then about David that makes him so great? What is it about David's life that God would look at it and say like, David, that guy is my guy. Well, if you begin to look at David's life, David was a guy 
who wasn't ordinary. He actually didn't like the ordinary. He actually broke the mold any chance he could. He's a shepherd boy, but he did it to the best degree. We see the story of David and Goliath. The story of David and Goliath, he's walking in obedience. He shows up to the place where Goliath is. Everybody else is in the ordinary. They're hiding back in their bubble. They're staying shrunk back. And he spouts back to Goliath. He says to everybody around, hey, what will be done for the man who takes care of this Goliath who defies the armies of God? Meaning like, I'm not going to just sit back here. Like, I know I'm not like a called or assigned or whatever. He's like, but I'm not just going to hold back. I'm going to be all in on this. And so he moves all in and you guys all know the rest of the story. But what we also see about David is when he's leaving his best friend, Jonathan, the story tells us that that super, you know, kind of sad leaving because they're best friends. They're called together spiritually. They've been put together and they're, they're departing from one another. And the scripture says that it's emotional. They're sad to see each other go. But in the scripture, the writer goes out of the way to say that David wept more. He was more in it. He was more in it. They, they go out of the way to say, like, he's all in it. He wasn't just kind of going through the motions. He didn't go through the motions with Goliath. Didn't go just go through the motions with Jonathan. And then you guys all know the really controversial story where he's dancing naked in the streets in celebration, gets in all sorts of trouble because what? Because he was dancing the most. The most you could dance, he was dancing. What am I trying to say about David? What I'm trying to say about David is David was a guy who didn't fit the mold and didn't want to fit the mold. He was somebody who said, I'm not, I'm not cool with being ordinary. I want to be all the way for God. And then heaven says, that's the guy who's got a heart like mine. That's my guy. So what's heaven trying to tell us? Don't be mold people. Are you with me today? Anybody? Let's break the mold. Let's be unordinary. Some of you already got unusual down, but let's be unordinary for God. Especially in this area. Especially in this area. If you can come in, and you can be full of God's love and walking in his spirit and being full of power and believing for the miraculous and signs and wonders, I believe God will use you mightily. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful that you've called us to be unordinary. So grateful that we're not called to be boring and stuffy and stuck and stale and stagnant. But God, you've called us out into a life of power and supernatural and you've equipped us for it. Lord, help us walk in it. In Jesus' name. Amen.